in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the glory of the Lord. In order to be able to see God's glory, the king in our hearts, in our lives, has to die. The physical, mortal king, which is ourselves, we have to die before we can see God's glory. Hey everyone, this is B-Side. I'm Pastor Brandon. Every message has a side B. And today, I'm with Gio Montoya, who taught Isaiah chapters 6 through 12 in a message called Imagine Reality, Prophet and King. Hi, Gio. Hi. So you did Sunday's message. Yes. And so we're going to talk a little bit because in this episode, we're going to hear a little bit about Gio's calling to the ministry and how Isaiah 6, Isaiah's call to the to the prophetic ministry, um, played a part in your calling. So we're going to talk about that, and then Gio's going to give us a little bit more because, man... These were some chapters that had some some stuff in it, huh? Yeah, it had a, a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff that, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to study and, and awesome to study, actually. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, I was away for a wedding, so i um, glad you got the chance to teach this section. Now, you guys might remember that there are over 400 um, quotations or allusions to this book of Isaiah in the New Testament. Over 400. Now, the average New Testament in print in our Bibles is about 300 pages. So you do the math. 400 references in the course of 300 pages means we have over one citation to to Isaiah per page in your New Testament Bible. That's absurd. That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. So if we want to know what is shaping the theology and the thinking behind people like Paul and Matthew and Peter and Revelation, just the whole New Testament, Isaiah plays an enormous part. It's the most quoted book in the Old Testament. So we are indeed in very good territory. So all that to say... There's some things that would be great for us to go um, back into in these chapters. So, with that said, Gio, you told me, actually, and it worked out that you were going to teach this, this chapter anyways, but you had told me that God used Isaiah 6 to... Uh, well, well t- t- why don't you tell us what God showed you and told you through Isaiah chapter six? Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, it was really interesting because when uh, you we started the book of Isaiah, I got pretty excited because um, I did receive my calling onto full full time ministry out of um, Isaiah six, and it's not that I went into full time ministry right away, but I, I this is when I knew I was called to it, and uh, it really happened on uh, on an evening where my mom out of nowhere called me and uh and I was at work and she says um are you coming home early today and I was like uh no at the time I was working a lot of hours and so I was like no I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna probably stay here for a little while and she she asked if I could come home early and said okay so I came home early and she said well I'm having a prayer group come over and so all these ladies show up, of course, a uh, prayer group full of ladies. Where are all the men, right? And so uh, you're alone with all these ladies? <laughs> yes, I'm alone with all these ladies and my mom. 
the mysterious ways of God. Yes, yes. And so she, I'm sitting at this table, at this long table with all these ladies, and the, the main leader of the prayer group looks over to me and says, uh, so what are we praying for today? And I, I look at my mom and I'm like, I don't know why she's asking me. I'm, I'm here because my mom asked me to be here. And so, um, to make a long story short, what ends up happening is that, um, she, she knew like in her heart that, uh, we were, they were there to pray for me. Um, at this moment in my life, I think, uh, I had been a Christian about three years, but I had taken a wrong turn somewhere. I had, I knew I had a relationship with the Lord, but I had fallen into this depression that, um, I started to think, um, what is a relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, because I didn't, I, I didn't feel that in my heart and I didn't really, uh, I didn't feel like I was experiencing the presence of the Lord in that time in my life. If anything, I felt like I was on a spiral downward. And so, um, at this time, um, she looks over to me and says, what, what can we pray for, uh, for you about? And so of course, wanting to deflect the question, because I knew in my heart that what I needed prayer for, I said, being uh, very spiritual, wait, are we going to read the Bible first? <laughs> <laughs> and of course. Uh, and so she says, she says back to me, okay, what do you want to read from the Bible? Which, of course, I had no clue because I was just trying to deflect her question. Yeah, hoping she would pick up and say, oh, you're right, let's get in the Bible. Exactly, exactly. So she asked me, and the first verse that came to my heart, and I say my heart because it wasn't something like it just popped in my mind. It was like I I felt it was Isaiah 6. Did you know what Isaiah 6 was about Um, before that? I knew just one part of it. It's only because I heard in a movie a couple weeks before. In a movie? Yeah, in a movie, in a war movie, actually. Uh, I heard in a movie, and it just stuck with me. As a matter of fact, that movie was was like it really touched me in a way that because of that verse, after that, I kind of couldn't stop thinking about that verse. But that night, it just was so evident that that's where I had to go. So I grab my Bible. I say, okay, we're going to read Isaiah 6. And so we read through it. And the one verse that stuck out from that movie and that stuck stuck out that evening was Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom, who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And so up to there, um, that's exactly what my heart really, um, really wanted to say to the Lord. But I was so afraid to step forward. I was so afraid to just say, yes, Lord, take everything. And so to give a little background to this, um, a few weeks before this, um, I was in my, I was in my bedroom because I, I've struggled with depression. I was in my bedroom one evening and I was just pouring out my heart to the Lord, not in any spiritual way, like in the ugly way where you're just like tears and it's not just coming out of your mouth. And I was just, Lord, just do something in me because I don't know what I'm capable of doing. And I don't know in my heart, like with, with what I felt in my heart that at that point, I didn't know that I wanted to feel that pain anymore. Um, and this had been going on for months and we don't have time to tell the whole story, but just to give a little background story. So in that moment, um, what I, in that evening in my bedroom, what I heard in my mind, um, was that ministry, which, 
your friend told you about about three years ago. That That's exactly what came to mind. And I was like, that ministry. And I knew exactly what the Lord was talking about. And so in that moment, I texted my friend and I texted her. I was like, hey, you know that ministry that you told me three years ago to that would be really great for me? And I was like, no, I'm too busy, whatever. And she's like, yeah, Patmos. And I'm like, yeah, Patmos. Uh, I'm, I was like, how do, what is it about? And I started asking the questions. <laughs> so her immediate response is this. If you apply for it, I will pay your $50 uh, application fee. I'll give you the money for it. And it's interesting because she didn't have a job. Um, she, she's had some, uh, physical disabilities that prevent her from getting a, a job. So she does side jobs and everything. So it was surprising to me that she would want to give me this money. And so I said, well, what's the worst that I can lose? So I applied a week later. I'm accepted. I've, uh, actually, uh, had an interview with Tanner, who was, uh, uh, one of the, the ones on staff. And now he's, he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Running Springs. Right. He's a local guy now. Yeah. He's yeah. a local guy now. And so it was interesting at that time. I didn't know him. So. And you're I'm, in Chicago during this time, right? I'm in Chicago so, during this, is this crazy, time. Yeah. yeah. I'm in Chicago during this time. So. Um, I'm accepted to the, to the ministry. I'm set to leave a month and a half. I think it was from there. Basically it was December. I was leaving in January and I knew all this, but at the same time, I had this other, this whole other life that I had established in Chicago since my whole life was there. I grew up in Chicago. I had everything there, family, work, friends, you name it. And so, um, I'm, I, I applied to this ministry that I know nothing of. I didn't even know what Calvary Chapel was. I didn't know that this ministry was part of Calvary Chapel. And so I'm, I'm asking my friend questions like, well, can I work while I'm there? I had no idea. And for those of you that don't know what you uh, Patmos no is, idea. exactly <laughs> what Patmos is, it's basically a four month discipleship ministry where you're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week and uh, these godly, godly people are just pouring into you, sacrificing their whole lives to just pour the gospel into your life and that they see transformation through the word of God. Yeah. Um, and so that's just a little bit of what it yeah, is. And it, so, it's intense discipleship and it involves body, heart, and mind. It's mm-hmm. like a full immersion. Right, exactly. So this is what's going on in the background. So back to that evening in that dining, dining, uh, dining room with all these ladies who are just looking at me, ready to pray for me. Um, and so I read this verse and as soon as I read that verse, my voice cracked and I knew in my heart what this meant. And, uh, and so then, uh, so then, then she asked again, okay, so we read the Bible. So what do, what do we pray for you about? So then I had no other choice but to say, I feel like I have a calling on my life from God. And, and I just don't know exactly where it leads, but I know that this is a pastoral calling and I don't know how it's gonna go. Um, so I was in between this place where I had all this life there. Uh, my mom has been a single mom for a long time and, uh, I've always been there for her and stuff. Um, and so it, it was like, okay, I had to leave all that and do, and, and go to a discipleship ministry. I had no idea what it was. I just knew the Lord was calling me there. I knew nobody there and I knew nothing about it. Right. And it's in California. 
At the so, time, it was in Florida. Oh, it was in Florida at the time. At the time, it was in Florida. But what Patmos does uh, is that they uh, choose different locations. So at the time, um, basically, the two locations that were up uh, in the air was either, um, what do you call it, El Salvador? Oh, or, okay. Yeah, or some someplace in Europe. Uh, and so basically, at that time, they didn't really know where we were going to go. They were based out of somewhere. Eventually, um, Patmos came to California. After my term as a student, they came to California. Oh, so you did Pat? You did not do Patmos in California? No, I did Patmos in El Salvador. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah, I met Gio, I met you, um, and your wife Sonia in, right. at Green Valley Lake at the camp up there, yes. where Patmos was in California. Yes, exactly. And Sonia, actually, my wife, Sonia was actually there, a student right. and an intern. Right. And then we actually got married in, in Green Valley Lake Camp. Okay, so I understand now, that makes a lot more sense when you're talking about, like, man, I gotta leave all this behind, I've been supporting my single... Uh, mom, and so you're talking like going to El Salvador. Right. Like you're literally, you're like, you're leaving the country. Yes. Wow, that's, okay. It, so how long ago was this? This was in 2015. So 2014, December, all this started stirring in my heart and happening. And then 2015, I actually ended up uh, taking the step to go to uh, Patmos in El Salvador. Isn't that amazing? Like, I've heard people say this all the time, that when God moves, he moves fast. You'd yes. be waiting and waiting and waiting and thinking nothing's ever going to happen, but suddenly you snap your finger and things just line up. You have a friend who says, here, I'll give you $50. You're accepted within a week. And then within, like, what, a few months? Yes, a few you're, months. You're leaving the country. <laughs> it's it actually uh, two months to be exact. <laughs> two months. Yeah, and at that time, me and Sonia had just started dating. Like, we literally had, like, four weeks where we, we had started oh, dating. So you're interrupting a lot, a so, lot yeah, more than and just so, family. Uh, again, for those of you guys that don't know Patmos, basically in Patmos, uh, you can't speak to your girlfriend uh, or boyfriend while you're there just because the time is supposed to be you and the Lord the whole time. So it was going to be four months without speaking to uh, my new girlfriend at the time, not my wife. And wasn't it while she was, so she goes as a student to Patmos for four months, a term, then she becomes an intern next, right? Yes. And wasn't it while she was an intern that you planned to propose to her? Yes. That's Okay, so you guys hadn't been talking for the stretch of your time in Patmos, her time in Patmos. Eight months then total. Then she doubles up as an intern, and you're planning to propose to her. Correct, yeah. <laughs> and so the summer, in the summer when Patmos takes a break, basically a bunch of the Patmos interns who we became really good friends with, they helped me plan uh, the engagement, which was so amazing. The Lord just came through in so many ways. Wow, that's a... It's just so, it's just so crazy. Uh, and here, it's so cool how God works. Like, here, you know you haven't been in a great place with Him. You get cornered in the weirdest scenario ever. You're in a Bible study with ladies. Yeah. <laughs> the only guy. And then you try to turn the tables and say, shouldn't we get to scripture? You're using religion to hide from God. Exactly. It's a married woman. <laughs> and yet, God puts on this woman's heart to press like, no, we're not, we're not going to hide in scripture right now. You are going to, um, 
you're going to read something for us. Yes, yes. And it was and amazing. And then out of nowhere, well, seemingly nowhere, right? It comes from God. But you, you, this verse from Isaiah 6 comes to your mind. You read it. God is speaking to you while you're reading it that you need to go into ministry. Right. And your life changes quickly. Yes, yes. And uh, the the leaders the from that group, the last words that she said was, wherever God calls you to go, you need to go and believe in faith that he's going to be there with you. And just go in and, and believe. Um, those were her last words. And they've always stuck with me because it's something that I've really had to hold on with. So after this whole thing happened, right be, a week before going to Patmos, I started to think, maybe I don't need to go to Patmos. I have a good job here. I have a family. I have a bunch of things. What am I going to go do to this ministry I don't even know about? And so it's interesting because I found out that a a week after I resigned, I walk into the place that I worked at and they were laying people off because of some political movement that happened and a lot of accounts were frozen. And so they laid a bunch of people off and I was next to be laid off. So I wasn't going to have a job. And yeah, so much, so many things happened. So I think, um, when I look back at that, it was, I had all these things, but the Lord wanted to cut all that out of my life because he needed me to, he needed to cut me down to the bare essentials so that he could build me back up. Um, which is what God tells Isaiah he's yes. going to do to the nation of Israel. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and the, so the latter end of chapter 6, um, he says in verse 13, And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So he refers to um, to Israel as basically this tree that's cut down, whose this great tree is cut down, um, because God has cast judgment on them and it's going to be cut down to a stump. Yeah. Yeah. So Isaiah is called basically to do the unthinkable. <laughs> he's he's going to help the people to keep on hearing, but not understanding to keep on seeing, but not perceiving. And so <laughs> Isaiah is to make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, their um, and blind their eyes so that they don't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their hearts. Like, <laughs> Isaiah, you can even like, wait, come again? Like, I'm supposed to work so that they don't understand you? So then he cries out, how long, O Lord? And he's like, in my paraphrase, basically until Israel is reduced to a stump. It's a tree, but I'm going to cut it down to a stump. And you, Isaiah, <laughs> you're going to be part of that process. But, but that makes me think, because you were saying, like, how God is trying was trying to, like, eliminate some things from your life because you just need a fresh start. It seems like God sees Israel here and is like, you know what, Isaiah, I need to use you to give Israel a fresh start. Do you, are there, are there any ways that like you kind of relate to Isaiah? Like did God just basically use this passage uh, just to get you into ministry or like, because of that, have you felt any sort of personal attachment to Isaiah or s- share something with yeah, him? Yeah. It's interesting because how I was mentioning uh, right before, um, going out to Patmos till Solver and eventually that was going to lead me to California. Um, I think for a while when I first came, came to the Lord and, and I was, I was serving several ministries at this church and in Chicago. And, uh, I almost got this like 
feeling of like, I'm important to the church or I'm important to Christ. But in reality, um, in my heart, I, I began to die a little at some point. And I got to a place where in my heart, even though on the outside, I would, I was doing all this ministry, I was dead in my heart, like, hmm. and not completely dead, but I, I, I saw myself and felt myself spiraling down. And so, um, I think that night when I cried out to the Lord, um, in tears, I think what it really was, was when Isaiah looks at his sin. And, and he says, uh, woe to me be, for I, I am a sinful man and this, the people I'm around I'm, are sinful. And, and in that way, I identify with Isaiah because in order for me, uh, to, uh, walk in my calling and to serve, really serve the Lord, I had to really, uh, see my sin. I, I can't, I couldn't see myself as, oh, I, I know Jesus. I'm in church. I'm, I'm serving in three, four different ministries, going to Bible, going to college for Bible. Um, it, it almost gave me this external, like, confidence in what I was doing rather than what Christ was doing in me. And so in that way, I, I identify with him because it, it almost, after that night and this event that happened, I, I feel like that that's kind of what happened to Isaiah. He uh, he saw the glory of the Lord. He was able to see who the Lord was. And at seeing who he was in comparison to the Lord, mm. he was completely broken. And he Woe had, is me. Yeah. yeah, he had no other... He, he had no other choice but to completely give himself over and say... Here I am. I'll, I'll do whatever you want, even if it means that I'm going to go uh, prophesy over your people that they're going to be cut down to a stump. Interesting. So, yeah, this 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 moment of humility, you feel like you share that with him. I love that. I think that's so important for anyone who wants to uh, be used by God in the world you really have to see his glory because his glory is never anything that's going to make me feel better than you. Right. Remember how Paul in second Corinthians 12 talks about um, like how he had seen visions, um, but he has no reason to boast because God gave him a thorn lest he boast about it. Yeah. And it seems like that those who have this, um, you know, people have this relationship with God, a good relationship because there's a humility about them. Right. And it, it just seems like we are lacking for a true vision of his glory, not, and I don't, I don't knock truth. Truth is important, but what we, what we don't necessarily need is people who go around crusading how they have it right. We need people who go around saying he is right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's right. And we are, insignificant little servants in comparison to this magnificent glory. The whole earth is full of his glory, yet we often think the whole earth is full of whatever we want to do with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so good because um, I think this chapter six starts really great way and it says that uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, mm. um, he saw the glory of the Lord because in order, like it almost pushes to the fact that in order to be able to see God's glory, the king in our hearts, in our lives has to die. The physical mortal king, which is ourselves, 
We have to die before we can see God's glory. Isaiah didn't see God's glory until King Uzziah died, which was the king of the nation. And so uh, reading some like background history, what, um, what they say about King Uzziah is that he was a, a, a good king, a king who did things according to what was right in the eyes of the Lord and that, uh, he was a king for 50 something years. I don't know the exact date, but 50 something yeah, years he was right. a king, which yeah. was a pretty good time, uh, a chunk of time yes. for somebody to be king in those times. And so what it was saying was that people begin to look to the physical king rather than the, uh, the king mm. of kings himself. He almost gets the sense that he's eternal. Yes. I mean, could you imagine having a president for 50 years? Oh my god. You feel like you would never see the end of it. <laughs> Some people would love it. <laughs> but no, no, yeah. And so I think, uh, we, we have to die to ourselves because before we can see that, that glory of God. And I don't think that dying mm-hmm. to yourself is, uh, okay, I already accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord, uh, 30, 40 years ago. So <laughs> I'm good. But it's like, uh, day by day, moment yeah. by moment. That, um, and for me, uh, one of the major, uh, points of my life where I had to really die to myself was saying, mm. I need to leave all this behind my, my, my family, my job, the people I know, my home, because really that's what happened. And not that I'm leaving them behind, but I'm just taking my eyes off of the me. Yes. And putting my eyes on him knowing that as I separate, as I depart, he's gonna, uh, be that cloud that was to Israel and provide and take care and yeah. continue to nurture. Um, yeah. King Uzziah is my ego. Mm-hmm. And as soon as my ego dies, then I will see Yahweh on the throne. Yes. I, I, I can't see him on his throne if I'm on my throne, right? We'd be rivals. But mm-hmm. as soon as my ego is dethroned, it dies. Yeah, then he's there. Uh, so um, that's what we're talking about, right? Dying to ourself is not like a literal martyrdom of everything we consider good in life. It's it's who's on the throne. Exactly. Yeah, it's who's on the throne. And the really awesome and amazing part about this is that yeah, you die once, you die twice, you mm-hmm. die three times, but the day is gonna come where we're going to die once and for all to ourselves, to that king on on our throne. And it's going to be God who's going to be the king of kings. Jesus Christ is going to be the king of kings um, for eternity. It's no longer going to be this struggle of, oh, man, I, 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 I'm a better king. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm a better king one step forward, two step back, or whatever it may be. <laughs> it's going to be for eternity. And Isaiah talks about that. Yeah, he does. So, yeah, here we see this vision of Yahweh on the throne, and then it ends kind of tragically with, but I'm going to reduce Israel to a stump. Oh, is that what our king does? No, 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 no. It's the purging, like you mentioned in your own life, in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's this, if you cut a tree down to a stump, as long as the root system is intact, it will come back to life. In fact, it never actually dies, right? It's... It's reduced, and then it comes back in new life. Outside um, my backyard, there we had this large oak, and just a couple winters ago, uh, it rotted. And so a couple winters ago, it snapped in half, terrifying sound, very loud. Fortunately, it fell away from our house. 
Um, but you know, it, you looked at the, the log on the ground, it's completely rotted out. I feel like it's kind of Israel. Like they've just completely rotted out. Like they're not even good for bearing fruit anymore. We saw that in chapter five. They're, they can't bear grapes. They're bearing wild grapes that you have to spit out of your mouth. You can't even handle them. Um, so they, they've rotted. And so now they're going to be reduced to a stump. But so I thought that tree was as good as dead. You know what it's doing now? It's growing. Yeah. From the middle of this large stump, there are like five dozen <laughs> new branches sprouting out. It looks like a wild hairdo. It's crazy. There's there's new life sprouting all over this thing. Yeah. It's going to be really It's really awesome how you described it, that you said that it was rotting and because it was rotting, it ended up snapping because a lot of times we look at God's judgment and we see it as like, oh, or, or people might see it as... Why is God being so cruel in judging mm. them? Why is being so unloving? But when you really look at it, it was, it's not that God is being judgmental or cruel, whatever it may be, but Israel themselves, they, 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 they rotted to the point where they broke and all that was left was a stump. And Romans one, Paul talks about it. We're talking, we're talking a little bit about it, but Paul talks about it, how, um, the people exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. And they, they valued more the glory of man than the glory of God. And so it's not so much that God just is this evil, uh, God that wants to destroy people. Yeah, he's not punishing. Right. He's not punishing, but rather it's the results of what Paul says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. It's it's almost like there comes a point when there's nowhere else to go but down. Exactly. And even if we cried out, God, save me, change this. I don't want to go down. He looks at us and says, right, I want to save you, but I can't do it with how rotted you are. So there's only one way to do this. We have to die to be reborn. And you know what a great mercy that is? Because if in my, in my rotted self, if he just kind of, prop that up with some stakes or some like cranes and just kind of <laughs> put some scaffolding to hold me up. Like, thank you for not letting me fall. What a miserable existence. Like, right. Like just propping up this rotted tree. That's it's better that it fell, right? It's better that he will allow me to hit the bottom so that I can be reborn. And, and I think that's what he's doing with Israel. It's actually, it's a mercy that he's sending Isaiah to help them be more deaf and more blind so that they can be renewed rather than just propped up, right? Rebirth. Yeah, rebirth. Yeah. It's oh, it's not a fun process, but man, is God g- good to lead us through it because it's not where we would go on our own. Right. And it's really cool because what he really is saying is that he's going to, there's going to be a rebirth, but it's going to be a rebirth through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Tell us about that. That comes up in a later chapter. Yeah. So, um, at the end again of, of chapter six, verse 13, we see that the holy seed is its stump. And, uh, when you think holy seed, you think about, uh, Genesis three where, uh, the curse is given to man and woman. And ah. so you see that the seed comes up there as the, the, the seed of the woman is gonna, uh, is the one that's gonna, that's brought up there. And so we see that the only one who has been born uh, just of a woman and not of man and woman has been uh, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to go too much into detail into that, how that 
how that means that, but basically we said Jesus Christ is this seed that he's talking yes. about here. Can I, can I read that? Yes. You're please. referring to Genesis 315. It's right after the fall. Right. And then God's giving this, it's called the proto evangelium. Yeah. A really fancy <laughs> theological term for the first gospel. It's, so this is what we're referring to. God says, I will put enmity or hostility between you, the serpent and the woman between your, the serpent's offspring and her offspring. Now, offspring is also in the Hebrew, it's seed. Seed and offspring are the interchangeable, and it's the same here in Isaiah. So I'll put um, between your offspring and her offspring, your seed, and he, the woman's offspring, the woman's seed, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the serpent has a seed, um, the woman has a seed, and the woman's seed is going to crush the serpent's head with his heel. His heel will get hurt. It'll get bit. But the serpent's ultimately going to get the worst wound for it. That's the prophecy. Yes, so exactly. you're suggesting Isaiah is alluding to that by saying this: the holy seed is now a stump. It looks bad. The wounding of the heel, maybe. Mm. But it's going to make a comeback, right? Because seeds grow, right? That's exactly. what seeds do. That's okay. exactly what seeds grow. Let's do so this. If, this is good. We go to, if we go to chapter 11, verse 1, what it says is that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse's and a branch from his roots shall bear fruits. So we see here that that stump that once was, not only is it going to grow, but it's going to, uh, a shoot's going to come forth from it. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So it's going to come to a place so far that it's going to bear fruit. Not only is it going to shoot back up, but it's going to bear fruit. It's going to do what it was supposed to do. What it was supposed to do from the beginning. Because like you were saying with that tree, it was so rotted out. There's no way it could have bore fruit. But now that it's all the rot, rotted out parts uh, are, are taken off, now you see that it begins to grow again to a place. Hopefully, it'll, that tree will someday uh, bear fruit. But right here in the in the text, in the context, it says that it will bear fruit, and it's gonna come from the um, stump of Jesse. Which, of course, is um, David, King David's father. Mm. That's the reference to Jesse. Yes. So that's the. We're now working with the seed imagery in uh, multiple levels. The offspring of Jesse, the offspring of David, which ultimately goes, Matthew chapter 1 shows us painstakingly, is Jesus. Yes. Yeah, so it's basically showing us, a, I think, a history of this stump or a tree. Cool. Basically, the tree was up. It was strong. It became uh, contaminated with whatever sin. it may be, sin. <laughs> the disease of sin rotted it, yeah. God came and he he basically pure is trying to purify it and cuts it down, leaving it to a stump that's going to shoot forth and through and eventually be Jesus Christ, the one that. Uh, yeah, good using the word eventually because what we're doing and prophecy happens a lot this way, just to help us learn how to read prophecy. Uh, it often works in layers, and so layer one. The immediate reference here is to actually Israel, right? Mm -hmm. It's Israel that's a stump. Israel's going to regrow. But layer two becomes, it's also a person. A person's going to accomplish this. A person's going to lead Israel in this. A person's going to bring other nations in this process as well. And that's where the New Testament identifies this person as Jesus. The fulfillment of what the chosen nation of Israel should have been. Right. And then there's a, even a third layer, um, 
surrounding in this chapter, this mm-hmm. idea that creation itself is going to bear fruit and blossom. Talks about like the, um, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the young goat. Like, so there's going to be, there's these levels of Israel, the Messiah, and then his return and healing everything. So. Yeah, it's really loaded, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, so, what this chapter really talks about is, uh, the glory of God being manifested through Jesus Christ and how the day is going to come. Like you said, there's layers and there's, uh, different parts to it, but the day is going to come where not only is there going to be, uh, this glory that has been expressed through Jesus Christ, but there's going to be a harmony in nature where you're talking about the wolves and the bears and the lions and, uh, and it talks about children playing with snakes and all these other things, which, uh, yeah, if, if you know anything about snakes up here, not even adults want to play with them, let alone little kids. Nobody would tell their kid, go play with that rattlesnake or you know, I got you. Uh. You know, it's funny. We were at the San Bernardino Museum. I took um, the kids, all Brittany had a doctor's appointment, and they had uh, this like little touch and feel area for kids and they had they had real snake skins that the kids could handle i've never felt a snake skin before who who like <laughs> we try to avoid snakes usually so i felt it it was weird it kind of felt like plastic like a ziploc bag it was really? kind of strange um but Avelyn just wanted nothing to do with it. She did not want to touch it. So, yeah, can you imagine children playing with snakes? Like, definitely a different world. Yeah, no, a different world for sure. Yeah, and so, but it's awesome, yeah. And, you know, here he talks about how there's going to be that harmony in just creation. Uh, it makes me think of when the Garden of Eden or when creation is happening and he's creating everything. Um, and he doesn't say there's separation between anything. He just says he's creating them and they're all in one place. And, uh, so it's almost like this reversal of what, uh, was once was to back to how it should be. And so you had a, is there something else in here that you wanted to? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's verse 13 So a lot of times I think we could read all this and we say, okay, there's prophecy, there's all these things, but how does it apply to somebody's life? You know, how to, how, what does that mean to me? I, I think sometimes we could read the Bible as such a historical book, uh, but in reality, um, what uh God really, I think, I believe, wants us to know is that He's with us, that He's um, amongst us and, and His presence. I think one of the examples that I gave was from from one of your teachings, basically that um, about seeing Christ in everything, because uh, God's presence is is everywhere. It's not just. It is God that's up there in heaven or sitting at his throne as we see him in Isaiah 6 or whatever, but rather he's with us in everywhere, even when we don't feel him. And so I think um, in chapter 8 or 7 and 8, what really happens is is that we see that um, God is telling Judah, the nation that's still standing, the nation that still hasn't gotten to a point where they they need to be completely cut down to a stump. And he is telling them, despite of what's going to happen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but, but despite that, know that there's hope. Know that there's um, that, that, that there's something more, and that I'm with you through all of this. So, between stump and shoot, there might be this winding road of hardship, and I don't get it, and darkness, but we will get there. 
Yes. And, and, um, so again, going back to your story, because I think it's a perfect example of it. Um, you said that when that tree snapped and fell, there was this loud noise. And I, I feel like that that's typical with a tree, especially if it needs to be cut down, you got to put the ax to it, right? If it, and, and we can see ourselves as, as that, that tree as well, because when we come to the Lord, I think from the time that I gave my life to the Lord to now, there's been so many things that the Lord has said that can't be part of you. And he hasn't all said, he doesn't just take me and put me through a grinder and scrubs me and says, all right, you're all done. You're new. Yeah. It's, it's not like that. He takes one in a, such a loving way. He takes one step at a time, says this here, this can't be part of you anymore. It's time to let it go. And, and he tears it out of your life in, in such a way that you almost can never look back at it and say, well, I, I, I can't even remember how that how I could have been there, how that could have been. Um, Right. So all that's part of the process of going from stump to shoot. But in that process, we have this beautiful word in Isaiah, which you you had just alluded to, um, God with us. Or the word is Emmanuel. Right, Emmanuel. And so So he's with us in that whole process. mm -hmm. And so in chapter 8, what we see is that uh, if we look at like verse eight and down, what it basically says is, uh, that, um, Assyria was coming and he's going to sweep through because God had cast a judgment from the east, northeast, all the way down south and eventually take out, uh, Syria, not Assyria, Syria. And then yeah, take north out, of Israel. Yeah, north yeah. of Israel, who were partnering up with Israel. And then take out Israel because Israel just wouldn't turn back from their ways and get. So everything above Jerusalem. Right, above Jerusalem. Yeah. And get to Jerusalem. And then what happens then? So then in verse 8, he says, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on. So to overflow means that it's going to overwhelm. It's mm. not just going to get to Jerusalem and turn around, or they're not going to get to Jerusalem and turn around. So in other words, like water around a rock, the yeah. army will surround the city itself. Yeah, that's Jerusalem. a really good illustration because as water comes in around a, ro- a rock, it starts climbing as mm. more and more water comes. And so then it continues on saying, reaching even to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So this is an important part because here he says, O Emmanuel, which we already know from other studies and from Matthew chapter one, verse 23, that he says, O Emmanuel is God with us. And he continues on to tell them, there's nothing that you could do to stop it. There's nothing that you could do to counter it. There's nothing that you can do to overcome it. You just have to trust that I'm with you. And he says in verse nine, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. It's interesting because he says this twice. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Because what's the first thing someone does when uh, somebody's confronting them or somebody comes to their front door and overwhelms them? Strap on the armor, right? Go fight. But he says this twice. You can do that. And then he says, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand for God is with us. So twice in that there's all this, you can do all these things, but that's going to come to nothing. But beginning and end, it says, God is with you. You just have to trust. 
And um, what we see in, in in the rest of the Bible is that what this alludes to is basically that Assyria does come. Assyria places a siege on Judah or Jerusalem. But what we see is that uh, it was God who came through and did a miracle and took care of the Assyrians for um, for Jerusalem and Judah. You know what strikes me about this is here we're going to we're going to see and this will show up um later in Isaiah somewhere in the 30s the late 30s there's mm-hmm. actually the account of Assyria coming around Jerusalem mocking the king to surrender we can be so surrounded by a mess by chaos by the Assyrians you know completely cut off surrounded besieged uh, that phrase is great reaching even to the neck uh, it, this, this, this stuff can spread its wings and fill the breath of our land, right? We can feel that there is just this pervasive presence everywhere. And yet, and yet, and yet, God with us, Emmanuel, is even closer than the nearness of the darkness. Like, we can feel surrounded, but God is even closer than that can get. That just, to me, that just seems to speak of such an intimacy, right? Like God doesn't just surround us. He's, he's in every part, even within us. Like that's, man, that's, that's a comfort that external circumstances cannot choke out even when it comes to the neck. Yeah. And it's, no, that's, that's awesome because, uh, as you were talking about that, it, uh, brings to mind Isaiah 43, one through three, um, and I'm just going to read it because I don't remember exactly straight from my mind. But it says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by, by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God. And so we see here that um, even though, like you were saying, these were surrounded and things might seem like they're over or, or, or destruction is at our door. He says that we're not going to be destroyed. We're going to be pressed. We're going to be all these things, but not destroyed. Um, fire, fire burns. And he says, well, won't be burned. Rivers overwhelmed. I mean, I've never been in a river where I just, I'm like struggling for my life, but I know that you have an experience with rivers. You've been on a <laughs> river rafting. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, that just came to mind as you were talking about that. Yeah, man, that's what a great, uh, okay. So let's just recap here. Isaiah six, God calls you into the ministry. Uh, we see that part of our growth is that sometimes things get cut away and we feel reduced to a stump, but lose not hope because I am with you. God with us, Emmanuel, will walk us till the shoots start to grow, which is the work of Christ in our lives, which is the future fruit and the, the God's, God's eternal life coming to, to, just to grow within us. And it went all, and through all this, Emmanuel. And that, that, that's just, you know, repeated. And this is, of course, what Matthew quotes, right? When he says, um, you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us, referring to Jesus. Um, it's just so good that we have, 
we have um we have that security that comfort so you and your progress and your journey toward ministry and me and mine and everyone listening and whatever we're doing whenever we feel stumped <laughs> know that fruit is coming because Emmanuel is here I like it anything else Gio? no that that really just about hits it on the head um, I was thinking about this uh, verse in 1022 that says destruction is a creed overflowing with righteousness because that's exactly um, I think it, sometimes we can say these testimonies and um, it might seem like wow that that's so amazing that's so cool but a lot of times that's how it feels like destruction has it is one after another and but it's all overflowing with righteousness because you're like I've been in God's hands um, and, and I've seen through everything that the Lord has basically cut down or cut out and and the, the trials I've been through that the Lord's actually um, overflowed with righteousness. So where the Lord takes, he gives. Excellent. Love it. Love it. Well, next passage, we've got a lot of the what the prophets do very well, judgment passages. And then it's against a lot of the nations around Israel. A lot of it we covered in Ezekiel. So um, I'm going to take the liberty to kind of teach around some of the areas that Ezekiel didn't cover. So happy reading with that, everyone. Chapters 13 through 31. It's a chunk, but it's something that can really be dealt with in a single sitting. So... A happy reading with that. And Gio, thank you for being with me today. It's an honor. So uh, with grace and gratitude, this is Pastor Brandon and Gio. Thank you for listening.